Dala'il al-Khayrat is a landmark in the history of Islam and the history of the Muslim Ummah and the Islamic literature. We're going to speak about the subject, about the book, and about the author. Three points in order to have a glimpse into this treasure. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله حمد الذاكرين الحمد لله حمد الشاكرين الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ونبيك ورسولك سيدنا محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Dear brothers and sisters السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته It gives me a great pleasure to speak about the Prophet صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم in this beautiful masjid and Islamic center and center of learning established by one of the most distinguished scholars of our time, Al-Allama, Al-Doctor Abdul Hakim Murad. May Allah preserve him and may Allah allow his knowledge and guidance and teachings to reach far and farther to the east and the west and may Allah reward the board of this masjid and the imams of this masjid uh, and everyone who helped organize this event for allowing me to speak to you, brothers and sisters, about one of the most interesting topics and dearest subjects to our hearts as Muslims and as followers of Sayyiduna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Because the subject is not other than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. The book Dala'il al-Khayrat is a landmark in the history of Islam and the history of the Muslim Ummah and the Islamic literature. We're going to speak about the subject, about the book, and about the author. Three points in order to have a glimpse into this treasure. Let's start about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is not just a man who brought us the message of Islam. We need to understand the relationship between us and him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam goes beyond this. Our iman is not accepted if we do not believe in him. And our acts of worship are not corrected if we do not follow his instructions. And our path to Al-Jannah is not clear if we do not emulate his character and follow his example. We need to understand that he's not just a man who brought the message. He's the culmination of perfection and beauty and wisdom. He, sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, 
is the most beloved to Allah, the dearest to us. And he has done us favors that are beyond our imagination. And we should probably still dig and discover his favors upon us, sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Our attachment to him goes beyond ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna muhammadan rasulullah which are the basic testimonies of islam to the definition of a muslim who is a muslim sometimes people think a muslim is the one who testifies that la ilaha illallah muhammadur rasulullah actually a definition of a muslim starts from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Theologians define a Muslim as he or she who follows Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who believes in the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and in everything that he brought and is known by necessity. It has been proven back to him. المسلم هو من يصدق برسالة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وبكل ما جاء به مما علم من الدين بالضرورة Beyond this رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم is the example we need to follow as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala orders us in Al-Quran Al-Kareem when he says, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا The verb comes here in the past tense and it shouldn't be translated as there has been to you an example in the Messenger of Allah. That is a wrong translation in my opinion because the beauty of the Arabic language and the eloquence of the Arabic language suggests that the order has come to you, the command has come to you, you received the command, you executed it, you embraced it, Allah is telling you the result. So the translation of this should be, there should be in the messenger of Allah a good example for you. That's the translation. There should be in the messenger of Allah uh, an example to you. But the beauty of the Arabic language, we, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that we are obedient. And we take his command and we embrace it. Then Allah is describing the state of those who accepted the divine command, embraced it and followed his messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam's example. And then, yes indeed, there has been a good example in the messenger of Allah for those who believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala remind us of his favors upon us other than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This minna is disliked in sharia when you do favors to people. Oh ye who believe, do not nullify the rewards of your charitable works by reminding people of them, by mentioning them, the recipients. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after doing us the favors of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, reminds us of these favors. Because these are the greatest favors ever done to us. Not only as believers to humanity, because we know it when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, 
We have not sent you but with mercy to the worlds. Now, do we feel this mercy? Can you feel this mercy of Rasulullah in every day of your life? Well, let me remind you, one aspect of this mercy is that when we commit sins and how many a sin we commit every day, I'm talking about myself, first, we're not punished immediately. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us a chance after another, an opportunity after another, to repent to him and get back to him out of his mercy. And this is the mercy of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because people before Islam used to be punished immediately. And this is part of the rahmah that he brought. And part of, uh, of the yokes that were surrounding the necks of the people before Islam that he removed Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam As in Al-Quran Al-Kareem in Surah Al-A'raf And we see that Imam Al-Jazuri actually described the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam As Al-Man'ut fi Surah Al-A'raf Al-Ladhina yattabi'oona al-Rasool al-Nabiyya al-Ummiyya al-Ladhi yajidoonahu Maktooban indahum fi al-Tawrati wal-Injil Ya'muruhum bil-Ma'rufi Wa yanhaahum anil-Munkari Wa yuhillu lahum al-Tayyibati Wa yuharrimu alayhim al-Khabais Remove from them the burdens that were burdening them and the yokes that were surrounding their necks before. And this is the mercy of the teachings of the Sharia that he sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam brought. And the mercy in our life. Had it not been for the Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam and his mercy, you would have been punished, we would have seen the punishment after each sin we have committed. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam is our intercessor on the day of judgment. And he is so much concerned about us, he waits for us at Al-Jannah. When a delegation comes, usually you send people to receive them at the door of uh, the masjid. These are called now protocol, part of the sort of diplomatic uh, etiquette. You receive people. But in the Arabic language, there is one word of that, for that. It is farat. Farat. Farat is the one who goes ahead of you to receive you. When you before you arrive, he goes there, waits for you to welcome you in. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Ana faratul li ummati, lay yusabu bimithli. Speaking about parents who lose small children. Someone who loses one child will be farat for him. The child will be in al-Jannah. Someone who loses two children will be farat for him in al-Jannah. The Prophet started with three, two, then one. Then who doesn't lose any child then I am for them farat in al-Jannah. I will wait for them in al-Jannah. Can you believe that he's waiting for you at the door of al-Jannah to receive you there? There is no calamity that befell the Muslim ummah harder than the loss of Rasulullah from the face of the earth. The end of his message. Otherwise, He's living sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam and his flesh is fresh. As many scholars put it, including those who would be thought as difficult to admit this fact like Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyyah, for example. 
The Prophet وسلم, is alive, but what ended with his death is revelation. This is why Um Ayman, Um Ayman, the milk mother of the Prophet وسلم, understood this. Sayyiduna Abu Bakr and Sayyiduna Umar wanted to remember the Prophet وسلم, and also من البر برسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بر آل بيته. So they wanted to do good by visiting Um Ayman. So they went and visited Um Ayman. She cried. They thought she was crying for missing the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم. She said, No, أنا لا أبكي لفقد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وإنما أبكي لانقطاع خبر السماء عن الأرض. I'm not crying for the loss of the Messenger of Allah I'm crying because there's no more revelation. That's the core point of the end of the message of Rasulullah Otherwise, she didn't cry because he wasn't there. Allah tells us in the Quran Al-Kareem, You should know, you should learn that the Messenger of Allah is amongst you. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verse in the Quran al-Kareem to be recited to the end of time. Had they, when they wronged themselves, come to you to seek the forgiveness of Allah and you seek forgiveness for them from Allah, then... And only then they would find Allah oft forgiving. So how to reconnect to, to the Messenger of Allah How to benefit from our attachment to him? How to strengthen this bond with him? We know that he is concerned about us. We know he sees our actions. They are reported to him. He's happy when we do good. And he seeks forgiveness for us when we are short of good deeds or we see we do something wrong. There is some connection. And this connection should be living in our hearts. We should feel it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered this connection to be established. It's not something that we're inventing. Prayer is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As-salah, ritual prayer. Five daily prayers. It is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? We pray to Allah. No Muslim practices shirk at all. But in that prayer, which is devoted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are ordered to say, As-salamu alayka ayyuhan nabiyyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. We are ordered to turn from addressing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to talking to the Messenger of Allah directly in the second personal pronoun. Not the third personal pronoun as absent, no, as present. As-salamu alayka, peace be upon you, ayyuhan nabiyyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So how to feel this connection? This is the area where as-salawat ala al-nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam comes in, invoking blessings for the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam upon the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is the area of, of salawat. And there is no, there is no such subject or such type of dhikr about which we have so many hadith virtues as much as 
As-Salah ala nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Let alone, of course, it is commanded in Al-Quran Al-Kareem when we read, Inna Allah wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi, ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu, sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima. Scholars competed in compiling hadith about the virtues, fadail, for invoking of invoking prayers uh, bliss of blessings for the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam and you find the greatest scholars of hadith such as al-imam uh, al-sakhawi shamsuddin muhammad ibn abdul rahman al-sakhawi majduddin al-fayruz abadi ibn qayyim al-jawziya abu bakr ibn qayyim al-jawziya you find the salatu wal bushar fi salati ala khayr al bashar book by al firuz abadi al qawl al badi' fi salati ala al habib al shafi' by al imam al sakhawi jila' al afham fi salati wal salam ala khayr al anam by ibn qayyim al jawziya and dozens of books devoted to this subject to encourage the ummah to go back to this source of blessings because if you send one prayer to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah sends you ten times blessings more. If you send a prayer to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Prophet receives it and answers back. So, so many beautiful hadith about it. However, there is a different approach to that. And this is where Imam Al-Jazuli became a pioneer. Writing actual prayers. Rather than virtues, just, and letting it to people, just compiling these forms, texts of salawat, putting them together. Al-Imam Al-Jazuli was pioneer in this. And his book is the first known book of salawat. A manual of prayers, book of dua, salawat dua, book of dua, first of its kind, was very intelligent in uh, writing this book. And we will see that indeed Imam al-Jazuli was not just a scholar, but was a very intelligent man. Because writing a book of fada'il, as we have many books, and I mentioned three titles. Who read these books? Scholars and students. Well, what about the, the rest of the Ummah? How many scholars and students are in every community, in every city? Small margin. What about the rest of the Ummah? How can you approach them? He didn't write a study text. He didn't write a book for scholars with book notes, with references. No. You want to send prayers to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, come, these are just prayers. Prayers for you, for your welfare, for your cure and treatment of the actual diseases, physical diseases and diseases of the hearts, for your protection, for your salvation, for your guidance, for your relief. So he put all this together. But in putting this he was very clever. He did not just write salawat. He included in this salawat a lot of information, subtle knowledge. So the book is a book of salawat, but 
It's a book of seerah, book of mu'jizat, miracles. Seerah, you learn from it a lot about the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. A book of miracles because it mentions the main miracles of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, some of which probably you never heard of. Or you need to sit in a class to learn. The shama'il of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his beautiful traits, you learn from this book indirectly. And more important, and probably this is the first time I'm going to reveal this, it is a book of Tawheed. It is a book of Tawheed, and people don't realize this. They think this is a book of Salawat, and it veils us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No. No. The closer you are to the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the closer, the, the closer you are to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The more obedient you are to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the more obedient to Allah. Automatically, this is what Allah tells us in the Quran al-Kareem. Man yuti'ir rasoola, faqad ata'a Allah. Anyone who obeys the Messenger has already obeyed Allah. I said in one of my poems, 900 line poem on the names of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in which I compiled 1700 names and attributes of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَحُبُّ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ عِزٌّ وَرِفْعَةٌ يَزِيدُكَ فِي حُبِّ الْإِلَاهِ تَبَحُّرًا Loving the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is a source of pride and elevation and it makes you drown more and more in the oceans of loving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, says, as we read in Sahih al-Bukhari, أَنَا أَعْلَمُكُمْ بِاللَّهِ He knew Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala best. So there is no way for us to get closer to him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There is no way for us to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala other than the channel of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Imam al-Jazuli, to reach that conclusion, we need to look at Imam al-Jazuli's life and how he wrote this book, and we will get back, inshallah, to the subject of Tawheed. Imam al-Jazuli, rahimahullah ta'ala, was born around year 790 to 800. Between these years, we don't have any specific date. Some orientalists suggested that he was born 807, but there is no piece of information that indicates this. Actually, looking at the facts and the events of his life would suggest that uh, uh, he was born before 800. Because year 824, he was in Al-Madina, Al-Munawwara, and he wrote a letter to his spiritual master, Sidi Muhammad ibn Abdullah Amgar Al-Hassani. He was born in mid-Morocco, in a coastal small village known as Tankrut in the area region known as Sous, west of the Atlas Mountains. And he grew up there, memorized Al-Quran Al-Kareem, studied sacred knowledge till he was qualified to further his higher studies at Al-Qarawiyyin University. Al-Qarawiyyin Masjid at that time hosted uh, as an educational system, an institution that was unique, and till now it is recognized even by the UNESCO 
that it is the oldest university ever known in the world. And the educational system that was used in Al-Qarawiyin later on in, uh, in many other circles, such as Zaytuna, Al-Azhar, and also before that in the Umayyad Mosque, and in the Mosque of the Prophet is unique. And I believe it, uh, it should attract the attention of, of some researchers to see the educational system. There were no exams, for example. So Muslims never applied exams in their studies and circles. There was uh, no time limit. You could finish your studies in three, four years or in 10, 15 years. There was no obligation to attend with one teacher. You could pick up your teacher in these madrasas. A beautiful system. However, it produced the greatest ulama. And it combined two things which probably lack in many of the modern uh, type faculties, the knowledge and the practice together, observing. Because these uh, uh, madrasas, these universities, were what you may call confessional. So they presented a system where if you're not righteous, you will not be accepted as a student there. So ilm and amal were combined together. Of course, intentions are left to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-Imam Al-Jazuli continued his studies there at Al-Qarawiyin till he was qualified as a great scholar. He must have studied books like Al-Muharrar Al-Wajiz of Ibn Atiyah because he quotes the book in, uh, in his, uh, or he took some quotes from the book without mentioning the title in the Dala'il. I discovered this in my research. He must have studied a book like Diwan Khutab of Ibn Nubata, the most famous uh, compilation of Friday Khutbas, and several other works to a quite high level. And he memorized Jami'ul Ummahat, known as the Mukhtasar of Ibn al-Hajib in the Maliki Fiqh. This is before the Mukhtasar of Imam Khalil was uh, well known in Morocco or spread in Morocco. It's a huge uh, work, over 600 pages of uh, Fiqh which he memorized, abridgment of an abridgment of uh, the Mudawwana of Imam Malik. He memorized all of that by heart. He must have studied several books in uh, theology, the Islamic dogma. One of them we know for sure is At-Tanbih wal-Irshad by Abu al-Hajjaj, Yusuf ibn Musa al-Saraqasti of Andalusia, who died year 520. Being qualified as a scholar, he went back to his region, must have worked for a number of years as an imam, guiding people in his area, until he went to look for a spiritual master. His attachment to the Akhirah appeared from the early days of his studies in Fes. He had a closet in his, uh, in his room. He studied at As-Saffarin Madrasa, and if you write in Google Safarin Madrasa, you will get the location. In a Safarin Madrasa, his room is on the first floor. You go up to it with a few steps. Inside the room, there was a closet. It was his khalwa for seclusion. His classmates suspected, because he was not letting anyone inside his closet, and because of also a Apparently, we can deduce that he had some sort of 
time of silence and uh, being aloof from, from people and social activities, they assume that he must have done something to get some treasures and hide them inside the closet, maybe worked in alchemy, uh, got some gold or found some treasures. So they sent a message to his father. So his father came to check on him. He enters the room. All he finds around is his son wrote on the walls, Al-Maut, death, 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 Al-Maut. Not that he wanted to die or to wish for death. No, 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 no. This is haram in Islam. No one should wish for death or wish to die because of some hardships he goes or she goes through, but in order to prepare himself for the moment of death with good works. And this is very unique about uh, our aqidah. We are ordered to work in this life as we're going to live for a hundred years. Plan, unplanned. Work in this life, have ambitions, and think of the future. There's nothing haram in this field, but you, not, you need also to prepare yourself if your lifespan ends at any time, you're happy to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you have prepared good works. And that's the uh, philosophy that Imam al-Jazuli applied. So he wanted to pursue his spiritual journey. Uh, he was looking for a spiritual master. He went to Tanjir. In Tanjir, he meets a woman who was described as being a siddiqa, a champion of truth. She tells him, don't leave Morocco. He wanted to leave Morocco. She tells him not to leave Morocco. He's needed in Morocco. He goes to Fes. While in Fes, at one point, he wanted to perform ablution. He doesn't find water. He looks for water, finds a well, but no bucket. Looking for a bucket, a young woman sees him from a window, goes down. She spits in the well. Water gushes up, springs up. It was a miracle. Looking at this miracle, he was amazed. How did you do that? She said, By sending prayers to the one whenever walked in the wilderness, wild animals would cling to the tail of his coat. Tell me what you said. Teach me what you've said. No, go compile a book, compile prayers and bring them to me. So he goes. That's when he wrote this book. I believe it must have been around year 820 when he was still young. Some orientalists believe that he wrote it later on in 850 or after 850. I don't believe so because he went to the Middle East did Hajj, spent seven years in the Middle East, got back to Morocco, spent 14 years in seclusion with his spiritual master, Sidi Muhammad Amgar, who is supposed to have died around year 850. His master gives him permission, ijazah, to get out and guide people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He starts doing this in Safi, 
Asafi, a coastal city in Morocco, where there are remnants of his Khalwa now and his Zawiya there. Scores of people come from all around the region to follow him, to listen to him, and get guidance from him. A conflict happens between him and the governor of Asafi. He leaves Asafi to Afugal, further in the south, a mountainous area in the West Atlas Mountains, where he establishes his Zawiya and is said to have 12,665 disciples. In that remote mountainous area, which is unique, because the greatest masters in main cities, especially the two major cities of Morocco, Fes and Marrakesh, never had even anything close to, to this number. So Imam al-Jazuli in Fes writes this book in Al-Qarawiyin Masjid, sitting there, borrowing books when he needed from Al-Qarawiyin Library. It is well documented that he relied on the library of Al-Qarawiyin when he wrote this book. Later on, he finds his master, then he takes permission to travel to the Middle East. He takes Dala'il al-Khayrat with him, recites Dala'il al-Khayrat every day in front of the shrine of the Prophet That's the secret of popularity. These authors didn't need PR, didn't need companies to uh, publicize their works. It is their sincerity. Like Al-Ajr Rumiya, which probably every student of the sacred knowledge has studied, Al-Ajr Rumiya is written again by a man from South Morocco, from a tribe, Sanhaja. Sanhaja is very famous, and everyone should know Sanhaja because Imam Busiri is from Sanhaja. Muhammad ibn Sa'id al-Busiri, originally also from, from the tribe Sanhaja, south of Morocco. But why? It is the sincerity of the author, and when he wrote it, he was looking at the Kaaba. When Ibn Ajrum wrote Al-Ajrumiyah, he was looking at the Kaaba, at the sincerity. So Imam Al-Jazuli recites his book every day for three years. He travels in the Middle East. We don't have much records. He traveled to Egypt and took from a scholar whose name is Fathullah Al-Ajami, died year 800. 46 or 847, there's a biography of him in uh, Al-Sakhawi's famous work, Al-Lami'ah, biographies of scholars of the 9th century. This is also a Shadili scholar and this, uh, master who's supposed to have taken from Imam Yaqut Al-Arshi, from Ibn Ata'Allah al-Sakandari, from Abu Al-Abbas al-Mursi, from Imam Abu Al-Hassan al-Shadili. Al-Jazuli goes back to Morocco and sits with his spiritual master for 14 years. His daily word was quarter of Al-Quran Al-Kareem every day. Three times Dala'il Al-Khayrat, twice during the day and once during the night, and 14,000 times Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, just repeating Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. He got out as a great superstar of guidance. People changed when they listened to him. And the impact is, was so great and so huge in his time that uh, later on, his students spread all over Morocco in major cities. And uh, that's a branch of the Shadili Tariqa known as the Jazuli branch, the Jazuliya. The other branch, which has spread 
uh, and is known in the West also, part of the Dirqawi Tariqa, is Zarruqi, goes after Imam Ahmad Zarruq. There are a lot of talks about the relationship between Imam Ahmad Zarruq and Imam Al-Jazuli. I elaborated on this in previous talks. I'm not going to repeat this, but I believe they never met. And it is impossible that they met because Imam Ahmad Zarruq was born 846. So he's 50 years approximately younger than Imam Jazuli. Imam Jazuli at the age of at year 846, already got out of the seclusion of his master in Asafi and started guiding people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So scholars spoke about this. Some suggested Imam Jazuli was a student of Zarruq and that Zarruq guided him to go to his spiritual master. Or some others tried to solve it by telling that Zarruq was a student of Jazuli. No, Imam Jazuli never entered Fes after writing Dala'il al-Khayrat, when he was a spiritual master, his news was, his work was confined, confined to the south. Even one of his biographers, Imam Mahdi al-Fasi, author of Matali' al-Masarrat, complains that we don't have much information about al-Jazuli because he and his disciples were all in the south. Fas was the center of the intellectual movement in Morocco. Anyone who enters Fes becomes so famous and everyone takes from him. So Imam Jazuli didn't enter Fes uh, after writing his book. He wrote it when he was young. So now we know the secret behind the Imam Al-Jazuli's writing the book. It was a miracle. But indeed, the book became a book of miracles because it changes people's life and over centuries the Muslim Ummah embraced this book. You talk about Hanafi scholars, Maliki scholars, Shafi'i scholars, Hanbali scholars from all directions. Take for example the great Hanbalite Mufti of Syria, Sheikh Abdul Baqi ibn Abdul Baqi al-Ba'li al-Hanbali, one of the greatest Hanbali scholars consulted by scholars around the Muslim world at that time, or the Middle East at least, and author of many books, including a commentary on Sahih, Al-Bukhari, and follows also the aqidah of the Athar. That is to say, not Ash'ari, not Maturidi. Follows the aqidah of the Muhaddith, and the aqidah of Tafweed, that is the aqidah of Tafweed. That is to say, when we come across ambiguous uh, verses in Al-Quran Al-Kareem, we don't confirm the literal meaning, and we don't opt for interpretation. We say, Allahu a'lamu bimuradih. Allah knows what is meant by that. We believe in everything that has come down to us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we don't delve into it. But at the same time, we don't confirm the literal meaning. And this is a very important uh, key point in the aqidah of the Salaf radiyallahu ta'ala anhum. He narrated Dala'ilul Khayrat and embraced Dala'ilul Khayrat. Let alone, of course, the great muhaddith of Morocco, Ridwan ibn Abdullah al-Janawi, who is compared to Imam al-Suyuti in the Middle East. And Ridwan ibn Abdullah al-Janawi was a disciple of Abdullah ibn Muhammad al-Ghazwani, who was a disciple of Abdul Aziz al-Tabba' who was the main student of uh, Imam uh, al-Jazuli, who spread the teachings of Imam al-Jazuli. So when he wrote this book, he didn't just write it from his own words. This book is a compilation of prayers. Now, when that young woman 
said to him, go and compile. So he wanted to compile the best forms that were written before him, alongside also some of his own. So he digged out. So he compiled salawat written by the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum. So there is a salah of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala There is a salah by Sayyiduna Abdullah ibn Abbas. There's a lengthy text salah, Allahumma dahiya al-madhuwat wa bari al-masmukat attributed to Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu ta'ala anh. Goes later on to the generation of Imam al-Shafi'i. Imam Shafi'i opened a risala with a beautiful text. A risala of Imam Shafi'i is known to be a very eloquent text of the Arabic language, not just a, a didactic poem or didactic text or uh, educational text, I would say. No, it is actually a very eloquent piece of art in Arabic literature. And uh, the best of it is the introduction where he mentions some forms of prayers including this form, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin adada ma dhakarahu dhakirun wa ghafala an dhikrihi al-ghafilun. O Allah, send your blessings upon Muhammad, upon our master Muhammad, uh, as much as people remember him and as much as people forget to mention him. Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Imam Al-Jazuli borrowed this and went further to borrow a special salawat from a Sheikh Abdul Qadir Al-Jilani, whose teachings already reached, had reached Morocco before Al-Imam Al-Jazuli, to Al-Qutb Abu Madian, Al-Ghawth, for example, and uh, several other great men of Allah. And took also from uh, Sheikh Al-Akbar, Muhyiddin Ibn Al-Arabi, Al-Hatimi, Al-Ta'i, several forms of prayers. And went also to consult books, he took uh, the hadith of the fada'il from Ihya' Ulum al-Din, few other books. So there is no blame on Imam al-Jazuli for quoting a hadith that has no reference, for example, because he relied on uh, reliable works. He did not invent anything himself. He relied on well-known works in his time and took, this, uh, took his information from these books. And... Uh, so he wrote his own forms also. He expressed his love, his attachment to the Prophet And you can see from, from the book that he put a lot of his soul. There's a piece of him in the book. His heart is in the book. This is probably one of the secrets behind the popularity of this book. But again, back to the main idea of changing the style from a teaching text or textbook to a manual of prayers that everyone can read. However, although the book is a manual, but there is a lot of information about it, as I explained. And now I would like to speak about Tawheed. As you are aware, Tawheed is of three main subjects or areas of studies. Al-ilahiyyat, al-nubuwat, al-sam'iyyat. In the section of al-ilahiyyat, things belonging to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are about Allah. People study the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and uh, how to describe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala beyond any similarity 
or in another way, ما يجب لله تعالى وما يستحيل في حقه وما يجوز عليه things that are necessary, things that are impossible, and things that are possible in the realm of uh, the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And from that, you can go on to speak about, uh, about the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, proving the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Muslims have unique approach in proving the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Imam al-Jazuli picked up this approach. And we will see how he implemented this, the three areas. But let me just elaborate first on, on al-ilahiyyat. This is where, this is where we prove the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the unity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the omnipotence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the omniscience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, qudra, ilm, the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his irada, and the rest of the attributes of Allah, kalam, and sam' and basar. Of course, there are other subjects related to that, the beatific vision, for example, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised the believers in al-Jannah, and Al-Qur'an Al-Kareem being the uh, kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So all of that is uh, briefly tackled and included in the Dala'il Al-Khayrat. To establish the Muslims' aqidah as being neat, correct, uh, well-planted well in the minds of the readers without them realizing this. We go to An-Nubuwat. In the field of Al-Nubuwat, you study, of course, the message of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa his attributes, and what he brought, and anything related to him sallallahu alayhi wa In the field of As-Sam'iyyat, the news, we study things that are not known by reason, but known through pieces of narration, such as the Day of Judgment, Reckoning, the Bridge, the Scale, the pool of the Prophet Al-Jannah, Al-Nar, and all of that, we know of these things because the Prophet وسلم, told us about. So these are the three main areas of the study of Ilm Al-Tawheed, Al-Aqeedah Al-Islamiyah, Islamic Dogma, Theology, or whatever you call it, different names, but the uh, subject is the same. Imam Al-Jazuli had this approach uh, to establish the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through looking at the world, his signs. And this approach is unique. This is al-hadithu yadullu ala al-muhdith. The contingent beings around us, in another way, the, the, the production or the things that are made tells you, tell you about the maker. To explain this, I read a book uh, in English called Does God Exist? It's a debate between an atheist and a Christian priest. And at the end of the book, the atheist defeated the priest. The priest could not prove the existence uh, of God or could not refute the arguments of the atheist. Why? Because the whole debate started from does God exist? So the priest got, uh, got trapped in defining God. Define God for me. And there is no way you can define God. And the trap was because they started from the wrong premise. 
And he presented 24 arguments. Many of them, of course, are false. And some of them are persuasive, like the primordial uh, nature, al-fitra, for example. It's persuasive, not absolute. Uh, two of them were only valid. The kalam argument with Thomas Aquinas presented in Christianity, which actually actually called kalam argument, al-rujhan bi murajjih, which we're going to explain. And the second one was the design argument. Those are both Islamic arguments taken from Islamic theology and used by the church in the Middle Ages. But he couldn't invest them. How should they have started? You start by what you see to prove what you don't see. That's the right channel. You start from the surroundings, from yourself and the surroundings. I see in front of my eye things. Who made these things? Is there a maker? That should be the title of the debate. A Bedouin before Islam, most eloquent before Islam, Qus ibn Sa'id al-Iyadi understood this when he said al-ba'aratu tadillu ala al-ba'ir. When you see the fication of a camel, then you understand there was a camel here. Shouldn't this wonderful, magnificent design tell you that there is, a, there is an intelligent maker behind it. This is how the debate starts, should start. Now, the things in front of you, you see, are moving and are changing, which means they can never be pre-eternal. Then they can never be God. They can never have existed from pre-eternity. They were non-existent, and now they are existent. And non-existence and existence can never be at the same time uh, together. Some outside power came in to decide that this thing should be existent or it shouldn't be uh, in existence. This is a rujhan bighayri murajjih, preponderance. So Imam al-Jazuli understood this. And in order to establish this iman, and deepen it in our hearts so that it never shakes. He turns our attention all around the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So all you read in this book is implementation of these signs in the salawat. He talks about ants, wild animals, sea animals, the stars, the plants, fruits, name it. Long list of objects, great signs, he mentions in this book to call our attention to the design of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and uh, deepen this iman in our hearts. This is why it could be a book of da'wah. And it's very, very, very powerful book of da'wah. And for some of you probably have been following before yesterday in Oxford, we had two shahadas. Two people came forward to embrace Islam after listening to some information about Imam al-Jazuli and about the book. And the day, it was on Thursday, I, be, on Thursday, I believe, in, uh, in, uh, in Peterborough, also, also a young man took shahada. Just because of listening of talking about the la al-khayrat and the life of Imam al-Jazuli and the marvels included in the la al-khayrat. So we go to the field now furthermore, 
in the, about the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He names Qudra, he names Irada, and he mentions وَمَا خَصَّصَتْهُ إِرَادَتُكُ And this is actually the specific theological term in defining Irada, Al-Will, the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala defines what to be brought by the Qudra. He mentions Qidam, pre-eternity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala many, many times. He mentions and emphasizes on one important attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah being unlike all created beings. There's nothing similar to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah is no way similar to any of the created beings or contingent beings. And he emphasizes on this when he speaks about أَسْأَلُكَ يَا نُورَ النُّورِ قَبْلَ الْأَزْمِنَةِ وَالدُّهُورِ أَنْتَ الْبَاقِي بِلَا زَوَالِ الْغَنِيُّ بِلَا مِثَالِ he says in one of the salawat, telling us that the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala encompasses everything. Your power executes. Mentioning the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that they encompass everything. Nothing falls, not, nothing doesn't come under the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or under the attributes of, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this tanzeeh is very important to bring people away from uh, making any resemblance between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or bringing any similarities between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the created beings and he emphasizes on this often. He goes on to speak about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not being contained by a place or by time. He states لا يحيط به مكان ولا يشتمل عليه زمان and he repeats this several, in several uh, ways. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the creator of the time and is the creator of space cannot be contained by either of them. Then we move to the area of uh, the prophets and the prophet's attributes. And he emphasizes here on the attributes of the prophet Number one, in the beginning of the Dala'il, he mentions 201 names of the prophet and attributes. He borrowed them from an earlier scholar known as Abu Imran as Zannati. And he included them, but they've become more famous to Al-Imam Al-Jazuli. And the Ummah embraced these names to the point that when Sultan Abdul Majid Al-Awwal uh, renewed the holy mosque of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi wa Wasallam, these 201 names of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam were written on the front wall of the Rawda. If you go there or look uh, at the pictures, you would, uh, and you should remember, red boxes, red squares on the walls, between each two boxes, there is a circle, green circle, green background, the writing is in gold, the green circle says Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the red square in it mentions names of the Prophet Sallallahu Muhammad, Ahmad, Hamid, Mahmoud, Ahid, uh, Taha, Yasin, and goes on. These names are all written, uh, the writing starts from just after the gate of Babu Salam. From the right, Hadihi, Asma'u, 
Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. These are the names of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They are still till now honored, preserved in the front wall of Al-Rawda Al-Mutahara. You can see how much the Ummah honored Dalail Al-Khayrat. And the writing goes through the front wall till Al-Mihrab. It continues after Al-Mihrab to Shubak Al-Sayyida Hafsa. Goes up and then down through the after the window of Sayyida Hafsa, then it goes to the end to Bab al-Baqiyah. These are the 201 names of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Furthermore, Imam al-Jazuli included in the Dala'il itself many, many attributes of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and I counted them, and the total number is 581. 580 in, in the Dala'il, plus 201, 781 names and attributes of the Prophet وسلم, included in Dala'il al-Khayrat. He speaks about the Prophet وسلم, being sinless. He speaks about the Prophet وسلم, miracles. He speaks about the Prophet وسلم, bringing the revelation to us. He speaks about Jibreel conveying the wahi to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He tells us uh, about the names of the archangels. And he mentions here something that is very important. Names of the prophets and messengers mentioned in Al-Quran Al-Kareem. And this is very beautiful. Because it's quite difficult for people to get a list of 25 names unless there is a poem, didactic poem, and mnemonics, you know, to, to remember the names, but any ordinary reciter, regular reciter of Dala'il Khayrat will tell you the names just right away, Ilyas, Shu'aib, Al-Yasa'adul, Kifil, Hud, Salih, uh, very easy because they are all included in Dala'il Khayrat. He made sure to include the names of all prophets and sent salawat to all of them. And this, uh, in a multi-religious society like this, where you have believers in Prophet Moses and believers in Prophet Jesus, Sayyiduna Musa and Sayyiduna Isa alayhi salam, I believe it should bring more peace and more harmony to these societies. This is why I believe that Dala'il al-Khayrat is a source of peace. And embracing this book should bring peace to the society and to the community that spreads this book and says this salawat. Because a believer himself would be a source of peace following the example of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, would be a source of mercy to the surroundings. And again, looking at other believers and looking at all prophets, we see that the message which uh, Imam al-Jazuli wanted to bring was, was peace. I should probably here highlight the fact that Imam al-Jazuli, Imam al-Busiri, Yahya al-Sarsali, famous poets, poet who wrote uh, in Baghdad, he died 656 in Baghdad, All his poetry is in praise of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Even Qadi Iyad himself when he wrote his book Ash-Shifa, these writings were actually done in response to the slander of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And it shows to us the deep wisdom these scholars had. Brothers and sisters, we shouldn't build our uh, ideology on reactions. It should be on actions, not reactions, because, because often reactions come out of anger, unplanned, then we regret. And anger doesn't bring anything good. 
So when people slander the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the right response is to praise him. Bring the best out of you to praise the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If you cannot write a poem or a book, then read these books. Now where is the slander of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, which was during the time of Imam al-Jazuli? 30 crusade campaigns were led against Morocco, compared to 6 against Al-Quds al-Sharif. The impact of them all gone, and the slander was all gone. What remained is the praise of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. The praise of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is what we should embrace and remember. So, furthermore, we speak about the third part of, uh, of Aqidah, which is As-Sam'iyyat, the news about the Day of Judgment. He, means, he mentions As-Sirat, he mentions Al-Mizan, he mentions the, the torment of the grave, he mentions, he mentions all of this is mentioned there in, in a way that is indirect. That's the beauty of it. You don't sit and memorize a text. No, you're just praying for your welfare. You're just sending, getting closer to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And sometimes in, I mean, the book is really a piece of art in literature. It's so beautiful. And sometimes he uses words that are now in our language, in our vocabulary, obsolete. But through the book, you can become the best writer if you try. The best and most eloquent speaker if you, if you use the vocabulary that he used and the structures that he used in the book. A lot of knowledge put in, in this book. And this comes actually, the attention Imam al-Jazuli gave to ilm al-Tawheed does not come from a void. Because he was really concerned about Tawheed. The major book he used to teach his disciples was not a book of tasawwuf, was a book of tawheed. At-Tanbih wal-Irshad of Al-Imam Abu al-Hajjaj al-Saraqasti al-Andalusi al-Darir, he was blind, may Allah have mercy upon him, who died year 520. At-Tanbih wal-Irshad is a poem of 1471 lines on Tawheed, and it's quite advanced. You could compare it in the Middle East to an earlier work such as At-Tamheed of Imam Abu Bakr al-Baqillani. Or later, you could compare it after Imam Saraqasti. Imam Saraqasti died 520. Imam Baqillani was in the fourth and beginning of the fifth century. Later on, of course, came in the ninth century, came Imam Adud al-Din al-Iji and his book Al-Mawaqif. These are advanced book of theology that bring arguments for the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and refute atheism and refute uh, any uh, claims that, does, does, that God does not exist. They are well designed to establish the Islamic dogma and uh, the book is, is, is quite complex and advanced. Imam al-Jazuli قال كان يربي مريديه the book is printed recently in, in Morocco, beautiful book. And looking at the book, you can assume really that his students were, were great theologians, were great scholars of Tawheed. So here we see that, that Imam al-Jazuli coming from a Sufi background, being also a jurist and a theologian, it shows 
the path of Tawheed to educate and cultivate his disciples and spread all of that in Dala'il Al-Khayrat. And the last section of Dala'il Al-Khayrat, if you allow me to read, is amazing. You can just see how much Tawheed there is. And this is the very end of Dala'il Al-Khayrat. Not to mention that every form of salawat, every form of salawat starts with what? Allahumma. Allahumma. Oh Allah, oh Allah. These are the last five pages of the Dala'il. Allahumma ya dhal manni alladhi la yukafam tinanuhu wa attawli alladhi la yujaza in'amuhu wa ihsanuhu. Mentioning here, the bounties of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon us and his grace that encompasses us. Look at the pure tawheed. We ask you by you, we do not ask you by anyone other than you. And tutliqa al-sinatana al-su'al. To open our tongues when we are asked in the grave. وَتُوَفِّقَنَا لِصَالِحِ الْأَعْمَالِ وَتَجْعَلَنَا مِنَ الْآمِنِينَ يَوْمَ الرَّجْفِ وَالزِّلْزَالِ يَا ذَا الْعِزَّةِ وَالْجَلَالِ أَسْأَلُكَ يَا نُورَ النُّورِ قَبْلَ الْأَزْمِنَةِ وَالدُّهُورِ أنت الباقي بلا زوال الغني بلا مثال القدوس الطاهر العلي القاهر الذي لا يحيط به مكان ولا يشتمل عليه زمان أسألك بأسمائك الحسنى كلها وبأعظم أسمائك إليك وأشرفها عندك منزلة وأجزلها عندك ثوابا وأسرعها منك إجابة وباسمك المخزون المكنون الجليل الأجل الكبير الأكبر العظيم الأعظم الذي تحبه وترضى عمن دعاك به وتستجيب له دعاءه أسألك اللهم بلا إله إلا أنت الحنان المنان بديع السماوات والأرض ذو الجلال والإكرام عالم الغيب والشهادة الكبير المتعال وأسألك باسمك العظيم الأعظم الذي إذا دعيت به أجبت وإذا سئلت به أعطيت وأسألك باسمك الذي يذل لعظمته العظماء والملوك والسباع والهوام وكل شيء خلقته يا الله يا رب استجب دعوتي يا من له العزة والجبروت يا ذا الملك والملكوت Look at this glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala This is why Reading the Lail al-Khayrat brings you closer to the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and closer to Allah. Reading the Lail al-Khayrat should strengthen your iman and leave no doubt about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, about the promises of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, about the rizq coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, about the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Should leave no doubt in the mind of a believer. It's a cure to such doubts such challenges that come in our time, especially to the youth. He continues, Ya dhal mulki wal malakut, Ya man huwa hayyun la yamut, 
سبحانك ربي ما أعظم شانك وأرفع مكانك أنت ربي يا متقدسا في جبروته إليك أرغب وإياك أرهب يا عظيم يا كبير يا جبار يا قادر يا قوي تباركت يا عظيم تعاليت يا عليم سبحانك يا عظيم سبحانك يا جليل أسألك باسمك العظيم التام الكبير ألا تسلط علينا جبارا عنيدا ولا شيطانا مريدا ولا إنسانا حسودا ولا ضعيفا من خلقك ولا شديدا ولا بارا ولا فاجرا ولا عبيدا ولا عنيدا اللهم إني أسألك فإني أشهد أنك أنت الله الذي لا إله إلا أنت الواحد الأحد الصمد الذي لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كفوا أحد يا هو يا من لا هو إلا هو يا من لا إله إلا هو يا أزلي يا أبدي يا دهري يا ديمومي يا من هو الحي الذي لا يموت يا إلهنا وإله كل شيء إلها واحدا لا إله إلا أنت اللهم فاطر السماوات والأرض عالم الغيب والشهادة الرحمن الرحيم الحي القيوم الديان الحنان المنان الباعث الوارث ذا الجلال والإكرام قلوب الخلائق بيدك نواصيهم إليك فأنت تزرع الخير في قلوبهم وتمحو الشر إذا شئت منهم فأسألك أن تمحو من قلبي كل شيء تكرهه وأن تحشو قلبي من خشيتك ومعرفتك ورهبتك والرغبة فيما عندك والأمن والعافية واعطف علينا بالرحمة والبركة منك وألهمنا الصواب والحكمة فنسألك اللهم علم الخائفين وإنابة المخبتين وإخلاص الموقنين وشكر الصابرين وتوبة الصديقين ونسألك اللهم بنور وجهك الذي ملأ أركان عرشك أن تزرع في قلبي معرفتك حتى أعرفك حق معرفتك كما ينبغي أن تعرف به وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد خاتم النبيين وإمام المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما والحمد لله رب العالمين See how beautiful the real tawheed the culmination of the principles of believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it just shows to us how much getting back to the roots of our beliefs in the Prophet will strengthen our belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And to finalize this, our goal is to follow the sunnah of the Prophet right? And everyone says that we should follow Al-Kitab and the sunnah. But there is something that is missing in this statement. What is missing here is Al-Jama'ah. We are Ahlul Sunnah Wal Jama'ah. Ahlul Sunnah Wal Jama'ah. Jama'ah means the community getting together. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says in the Quran Al Kareem, Women Yushaqir Rasulam in Badi Matabayana Lahul Huda, Wayatabi Arayra Sabili Mu'minin, Nuwalihi Matawalla, Wanuslihi Jahannama Wasa at Masira. ومن يشاقق الرسول anyone who 
who disobeys the messenger, referring to Rasulullah after guidance has been made clear to him and follows other than the way of the believers it is mentioned that Imam al-Shafi'i tried to find the reference to the validity of consensus in Al-Quran Al-Kareem he read Al-Quran Al-Kareem 50 times until he stopped at this verse Although there is a discussion whether this is an absolute proof or persuasive proof for Ijma'ah, this is a different subject, but the reference is to the Ijma'ah. And follow other than the way of the believers. Who are the believers? The Ummah, together. This is what Imam Al-Tahawi says in, in his Aqeedah. Imam Abu Ja'far Al-Tahawi says, وَنَتَّبِعُوا السُنَّةَ وَالْجَمَاعَةَ we follow the sunnah and the community together. We leave any sort of uh, uh, deviant opinions. We leave any dissent, any calls for, for uh, differences. وَلَا نُصَدِّقُ كَاهِنًا وَلَا عَرَّافًا In another text, Imam Abu Ja'far al-Tahawi says, وَلَا مَنْ يَدَّعِي شَيْئًا يُخَالِفُ الْكِتَابَ وَالسُنَّةَ وَإِجْمَاعَ الْأُمَّةِ We don't believe uh, foretellers, we don't believe uh, soothsayers, and we don't follow anyone who uh, follow other than the book, the sunnah, and the consensus of the ummah. Imam al-Harith ibn Asad al-Muhasibi emphasized on this also in his uh, famous work, Risalatul Mustarshideen. He says, فَمَنْ شَرَحَ اللَّهُ صَدْرَهُ وَوَصَلَ التَّصْدِيقُ إِلَىٰ قَلْبِهِ Then he says, لَزِمَ مِنْ هَاجَ ذَوِي الْأَلْبَابِ Anyone who's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, anyone who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens his heart, then he'll embrace and follow the path of those people of hikmah, people of wisdom, Observing the borders of the Sharia, Biriyati Hududi Sharia, Min Kitabillah, the Book of Allah, Wasunati Nabihi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the Sunnah of the Prophet, Wamajtama Alaihi Muhtaduna min al Aimma, and what the well guided Imams agreed upon. Imam al Jazuli takes this, and one of the main dua he makes in Dala'il al Khayrat several times. And allow us to die or make us die following the sunnah and the way of the community. And in some places he says, Without distorting, without having any doubts, without changing or altering, without altering any statements. Just Simple, pure belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the la'ilul khayrat. And that is our, the impact of this book uh, from a doctrinal point of view, from a view of, of our relationship, a prospect of our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And from this we understand that as a Muslim ummah altogether, no matter how much we love Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and there is no limits, you can love him as much as you wish. And how much you follow the Prophet ﷺ, follow him as much as you wish. 
No matter how much you mention him, mention him as much as you wish, as the Prophet said to that man who came complaining about debt he had and some uh, challenges he had. Make as much as possible uh, prayers for me. I'll divide, I'll devote quarter of my time to you. In like if you do more, it is better for you. If you do more, it is better than you. Till the man said, I'll devote all my time to you. Then all your worries will be gone and the challenges uh, will be, you'll be given relief. That's the solution. So no matter how much we give time, dedication, attention to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, no single Muslim has or should raise the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to God, to the rank of God. And no Muslim has done this in the past. Sayyiduna Ali radiyallahu ta'ala was acclaimed to be God by some non-Muslim sects. They went away to, the, to that extent. And of course, that takes people away from, from Islam. But no one single Muslim, I believe, that ever thought of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa being God or God incarnate or uh, son of God or having any divine equality. We should be aware of this fact. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made it very clear when he said, لا تطروني كما أطرت النصارى عيسى بن مريم. Do not flatter me. Do not exaggerate in praising me as the Christian did. So you should not stop at the first. The stopping at the first part of the hadith is very dangerous. He did not say, do not uh, praise me. He did not say, do not flatter me. No, there is a qaid. He said, as in the way the Christian did to Jesus. This is why Imam al-Busiri put it in a beautiful way in the Burda when he said, he said, leave what the Christians claimed about their messenger, their prophet. Give him whatever praise you want. He's perfect, he is indeed. He's most beautiful, he is indeed. The wisest, he is indeed. He brought light, yes. He was light, yes. He... In, in, in some of his, the names Imam al-Jazuli mentions, he says he is al-Muhyi. And some people took it literal. And that's wrong. The Arabic language is the language of metaphors. And the Prophet sallallahu used these metaphors. These metaphors exist in the Quran al-Kareem. When Allah says, for example, وَمَنْ كَانَ فِي هَذِهِ أعمى فَهُوَ فِي الْآخِرَةِ أعمى وَأَضَلُّ سَبِيلًا Anyone who is blind in this world will be more blind in al-Akhirah, in the hereafter. It's not talking about blindness of the eyesight. Talking about blindness of guidance. Not seeing guidance, not embracing guidance. The Prophet himself says, The example of the one who recites Quran and the one who does not, does not is the example of a living and a dead. So when Imam al-Jazuli says about the Prophet al-Muhyi, he revived us, he brought us life. Real life is guidance. 
He doesn't mean that he's God who brought life to human beings when they were born. No, of course not. It's all the book of Tawheed recognizing the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even in, in uh, bringing life and taking life. But what he means is that guidance is real life. And Imam Al-Jazuli, when he says Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa is Al-Muhyi, he means that he brought us life because because of him because of we are muslims we are living people on the face of the earth at the end of this talk i would like to there's a lot to say i can go for hours but alhamdulillah we go from a ta'a to another ta'a fa'idha faragta fansab wa ila rabbika fargab abdullah ibn abbas finished uh, his prayer in Al-Masjid uh, Al-Haram uh, in Mecca got out. He saw two people wrestling. Although wrestling is allowed, but actually not just after you go of the masjid. Out of going out of uh, the masjid, you just got out, out of prayer. You should be in awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Spending a few minutes of dhikr just to absorb the, this, uh, the fruit of this connection. The fruit of this ibadah. So he said, this is not what Allah asked us to do. Allah said, فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ فَانْصَبْ وَإِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ فَرْغَبْ When you finish an act of worship, then move to another act of worship. And this is what we're doing, inshallah, in this blessed masjid. Thank you to the committee of the masjid for hosting this great event. Thank you to every single brother and sister, young and old, everyone amongst you for coming here. The ijazah is given to all of you here. As you heard part of the La Ilul Khayrat recited by me, the very end of it, you have ijazah to narrate the La Ilul Khayrat, and the chain of transmissions or the asaneed are mentioned in this uh, booklet, Introduction to the La Ilul Khayrat. There are eight chains, and the ijazah also is written uh, there. May Allah grant us. Uh, Insha'Allah, visions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wa Wasallam in our dreams. May Allah grant us uh, more attachment and yearning to him. May Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala grant us uh, more energy to worship Allah more and to follow the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam more. And brothers and sisters, Wallahi, I would like to emphasize in you, if any one of you could be da'iyah, every one of you could be da'iyah, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by showing a good example of the character of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When people see you, especially in these countries here, you know, these people are not enemies. They are enemies when they see wrong. When they see us coming to them with hatred, then of course they will hate us. But they should see in you the mercy of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. The peace that Islam brought assalamu alaikum peace with every in every corner of our life there is peace and most frequent words in this book actually are after Allah and Muhammad are peace and rahma rahma and peace these are the most frequent words in in this book this should reflect on ourselves on our hearts and in our behavior especially we have huge responsibility here you are representatives of the muslim world representatives of the Muslim Ummah. People, if you lie, people see the lie as the lie of the Muslim world and the lie of all Muslims. They say not this is a single person. They see this is what Islam, they say this is what Islam taught them. So be careful and be true to this nisbah, to this connection to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, so that when he looks at you, he's pleased with you. His eyes are cooled and he smiles at your actions so that when we make salawat for him, the salawat 
brings us peace, brings us also his pleasure, and elevate us before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Barakallahu fikum. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.